0: This is Anja Viktorovic, and you're listening to The Rescue Radio. Hi, friends. Welcome back. As a listener, you know all about the amazing work that Portland Mountain Rescue does for mountaineers on Mount Hood and how we answer the call for all kinds of rescues, from lost hikers in a gorge to backcountry skiers and snowboarders near government camp ski areas. What you may not know is that PMR is a non-profit organization. Since we are an all-volunteer-run unit, our expenses are basically the technical and medical training and specialized equipment needed to execute searches while keeping our rescuers safe. We receive all of our funding from individuals like you, and a couple of times a year we ask our friends to help us with cash support. We invite you to show your love for Portland Mountain Rescue by making a donation. Go to www.pmru.org and click on the Contribute button today. Any amount is appreciated and donations are tax deductible. Thank you so much for your support. I have my teammate from PMR, Tom Gall, here with us. Hi, Tom. Hi, Anya. We decided to talk about two accidents that Tom was part of. One was a cross-country skiing accident, and another and another was a cannoneering one. Tom, can you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Uh, Tom Gall. I'm a retired fire lieutenant, and I'm paramedic, and I've been with Portland Mountain Rescue since 2002, so almost 20 years. Oh, wow. I'm retired now, and I've spent much of my time doing things with Portland Mountain Rescue, uh, training, and I'm one of the rescue leaders, so we get to make drills and teach our people how to how to operate. We have a bunch of new people, and even, even the people who've been there for a while, we need to sharpen our... Skills And um, we're doing a drill later this evening, as a matter of fact.
0: Yes, we are. <laughs> so let's start with...
1: The most recent incident?
0: Let's start with the most recent incident, yeah.
1: Sure. Um, being an outdoorsy person, I luckily get invited to do things like row a boat down the Grand Canyon. A friend of mine had a permit and was putting together a trip. And I got invited to go along since... I've done it a couple times before and they also knew that i always bring a really good first aid kit uh and some other things so uh, on this one particular day you know we were halfway down a 21 day trip floating down the grand canyon and we had a layover day a lot of the folks on the trip are really excellent rock climbers and but we want to do some canyoneering which is mostly repelling um down some slot canyons and things so we did some great hiking and on this one particular layover day we were gonna go up a side canyon uh you know around the top and then descend it using ropes and there was you know two or three moderate repels 50 footers let's say
0: how many people were on that
1: trip there's 16 of us oh, 16 okay. yeah and um we got to the first rappel. We entered the canyon from above and, you know, it started getting narrow and narrow and we come we're down on a slot now and we get down to the first rappel and there was an anchor with a rappel ring, like a piece of webbing tied around a boulder mm. that basically you're standing on and a very low anchor um and and it was an overhanging about a 50 foot rappel. Mm. And you thread your rope through the rappel ring. And we had long enough rope for both ends to reach the ground. And everyone was very eager. And I guess one of the, the first points is that don't be too eager and think about the consequences. Mm-hmm. And some some folks ran ahead or, or whatever. I was I was slow checking harnesses and making mm-hmm. sure we had the proper gear. And um, someone went ahead and rigged the rappel and actually rappelled down it And before I even got there. And then I got there and I looked at that anchor and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult rappel in that your anchor is between your ankles and Mm, you have, you know, on an overhang. (laughs) The safest way to do that is to get down on your belly and slither over. I didn't even want people doing that. There was another anchor overhead that was available. And so I went and rigged a second rope. And I I said, we're not going to use this, the original anchor and rope. Let's just, the last person is going to go down there. Uh, and that's probably going to be me. I, I'm comfortable going off this, but I don't want the rest of the party to go off this very difficult edge. Mm-hmm. So I rigged another line, and while I was doing that, the other line's going to be overhead, much easier to have the rope assume your weight in a very gentle manner. But our trip leader apparently uh, maybe didn't hear me or, or didn't realize I was rigging up a, a safer line and went ahead and rigged up on this this first line with the really low anchor and started the rappel and actually inverted upside down. Now, she had a helmet on, but when she inverted, her head swung underneath and the helmet was maybe a little loose and exposed the back of her head. Oh, no. And she swung upside down and smacked her head on something underneath the overhang. and was knocked unconscious, it was hanging upside down off this 50 foot rappel. And luckily the, f- the first person who had already gone down that rope was at the bottom. And I had asked him to do a, a, a bottom rappel or what do they call it, a, a firefighter's a belay. They yeah. basically pull down on the rope if anything happens and mm-hmm. it'll lock up the descending mm-hmm. device. This person uh, very quickly had a hold on the rope and put on a bottom belay and stopped. Our leader from continuing upside down down the fifty foot
0: was she unconscious at this point? She was
1: unconscious and just limp and hanging from the harness. Oh no! Uh, And luckily, he stopped her from descending. Uh, But now she's underneath an overhanging lip, upside down, uh, unconscious. You know, blood coming out of the back of her head. And it was really, uh, really scary situation. You know, in the blink of an eye something as simple as a rappel never yeah. mind it was a difficult rappel but yeah. people take rappelling as being easy and it can be mm-hmm. but the consequences of uh, screw up are are great
0: yeah a lot so. of times it's the most dangerous part of the whole rock climbing part is the rappel
1: it's true you're totally dependent on your anchor and this yeah. anchor was pretty sketchy in, in a in a very awkward position so mm-hmm. luckily i just finished rigging the other more suitable line mm. and i had harness on and so i descended the other line and got below mm-hmm. uh, well, actually there was another one of our really good climbers had basically climbed underneath <clears throat> and had supported our leader so that mm-hmm. she wouldn't uh, basically he you know kind of pushed her back up mm-hmm. so that she was sitting in her harness rather than hanging upside down from it
0: how far in were you from the trailhead
1: uh, probably a about a two mile walk okay. from from the, the Colorado River back at camp where mm-hmm. our our rafts were. Okay. And so anyway, this uh, this rock climber fella supported her, but he couldn't get her back up. I had a harness and rigging. I went down and positioned myself mm-hmm. to take over for this um, this fella, and I had a prusik on there, so I I could be hands free. Mm-hmm. And so took over the bottom belay with one of my hands and gathered up all the loose
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, rappel rope that was below that, that wasn't being used. And I handed it up to our really eager, everyone on the, on the uh, party was above, looking over the edge, very anxious, like, what can we do, you know? Yeah. And so I handed the rope up mm-hmm. from below. And basically it sort of formed a, like a two-to-one mechanical advantage mm-hmm. to... Cool to, to bring her back mm-hmm. up to the top. And again, it was only about two feet below the lip. Like I mentioned, I, I try to be, you know, anticipate what if. And so I did have a little day pack up there and it had a foam pad in it. It had a first aid kit, it had a personal locator beacon, and it had one of those in-reach satellite communicator devices. Mm-hmm. I think we had a poncho in there. So it was great. Everyone on the party jumped into action and because of my PMR training and fire training, you know, I had to become a, a incident commander.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I was still below the lip. And I said, okay, get her, you know, go to my backpack, get that foam pad out, you know, lay her, keep her spine in line. Because we don't know if we have a spinal injury. She's unconscious and bleeding. I said, put her on that foam pad, get my first aid kit out. Meanwhile, I climbed back up. Did a medical assessment or trauma assessment, mm-hmm. rather. You know, and head she's to still toe.
0: Unconscious, still unconscious. Still unconscious.
1: Starting to moan. Coming yeah. around. We stopped the bleeding with mm-hmm. some dressings, and it, it really turned out to be a minor scalp wound. But they bleed a lot, and they look pretty bad. Yeah. But the worry, of course, is that you have maybe a skull fracture and, and a
0: spine, maybe. If she hit and a, right.
1: yeah. a spinal injury, <clears throat> and one of the hidden things that can happen is you can have uh, internal. Bleeding in the skull, mm, yeah. you know, either an epidural bleed or a subdural bleed, and those are sneaky. You can't really see them or do anything out in the field.
0: Yeah. And so, what did you do next?
1: Um, what What was great is being involved in responding to search and rescue incidents. I knew that we number one we have to get some help, mm. and number two we have to stop the situation from getting worse. So, stop the bleeding. Keep the airway open, keep the spine in line, and and get help. And so I had my, um, I did the assessment. Didn't find any injuries, no obvious fractures, no deformities, no bruising. um, Mm -hmm. You know the stuff that you learn as an EMT or a paramedic and how to assess an unconscious person. Mm -hmm. But so in my mind, the 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 chief complaint is a a closed head injury Mm -hmm. with you know, the possibility of a brain bleed and intracranial pressure. And that's something over, you know, 24, 48 hours that can kill you. And there's nothing you can do about it in the field. Okay. So we've done an assessment and we know we have a possibility of something bad happening internally. So we made the decision, like we need to evacuate her. And everyone on the team was in agreement. So we activated the personal locator beacon and, they don't work well in the bottom. Anything that talks to a satellite doesn't work well in the bottom of a slot canyon. Yeah. So one of our folks, I gave him the PLB and I said, go up to that boulder up there, you know, a couple hundred yards out of the canyon, which has a big open view of the sky, set it up and leave it there and just let it transmit. Um, we also took the, uh, <clears throat> the in-reach communicator and activated that it has a SOS button on it as well that one same thing it had to go up out of the canyon to a place with an open view of the sky and so I assigned someone else to do that and someone else that I know knows how to operate texting devices send out a message and, and wait for a reply and basically handle any any messages coming from the park service you know if you do a Grand Canyon float, the Park Service at Grand Canyon requires you to rent a satellite telephone,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that is down in the boat. So we sent a third guy to run back down the trail and get that satellite phone in the emergency kit. And in that kit, you know, you're required to have it is aircraft landing markers, like these big orange panels mm-hmm. that you lay out. And you know, I asked him to go turn on the satellite, know, kind of come back up here. And I had these little two-way FRS radios, you know, little walkie-talkie radios, Mm -hmm. just for communication in the canyon, in our little slot canyon. Again, you know, it's really nice to have good communication uh, when when you have 16 people that are doing multiple repels. Um, So the fellow with the, the the satellite phone, I gave him one of the radios, and I said, go up on that rock where you have a good view of the sky and hitting a satellite. And I'll take the other radio, and I'll stay down here in the bottom of this canyon with the radio, and you communicate with the Park Service with the phone. And if they have any questions about patient uh, status or anything like that, call me on the radio, and we'll re- you'll be the relay point. And someone took those emergency panels and picked out a landing zone for a helicopter. Mm. The Park Service has a, a, a crew that responds to SAR incidents with a helicopter that they have on contract. Uh, so the the satellite telephone when we got that set up we were able to talk to the Park Service and if they had any questions for me we could relay with the little two-way radios. Satellite telephones in the bottom of the Grand Canyon they, they cut out after about 30 seconds the satellite mm-hmm. passes out of view. Uh, we had to call back um, a little frustrating and so I'm kind of a fan of, of texting. You know a lot of people have cell phones when they go out in the wilderness. And if you're in a high point, you actually might get a cell signal. Uh, on Mount Hood, that seems to be the case. On the south side, mm-hmm. it's, it's common for people to have a cell phone. But it's also common in a cold place like Mount Hood for your battery to die. die yeah. People should know that two-way voice communication on a cell phone uses more battery power than a simple Text. text. When you do call 911 on your cell phone, the 911 operator connects you up with a search and rescue deputy, for example, the deputy oftentimes will tell you to turn your phone off, save the battery, or just communicate with them during, uh, for texting. They might want you to turn your phone off, uh, but only turn it on at the top of the hour, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like five minutes before top of the hour Mm -hmm. and five minutes after. So have it on for a 10 minute window, like once an hour. Other than that, turn the thing off, save your battery, keep it warm. Don't post anything on Facebook because that really when you use the data side of your phone, uh sucks up your batteries. Mm. We've had multiple incidents on Mount Hood. People relying on their cell phones and and they the batteries died. Anyway, in the in the canyon, we were able to communicate for like 30 seconds or 90 seconds at a time with the satellite phone. The texting device we had called an InReach, that Can text to a a 10 digit phone number, Mm. which we had the Park Service's dispatch number. We didn't know it at the time, but the Park Service in Grand Canyon does not receive texting. It's a landline only, Mm. it's only a voice telephone. So we sent multiple texts to them with patient updates, and none of that went through. So that's something that the Park Service might want to modernize and, and have their emergency dispatch centers able to receive texts. Mm. Uh, another thing I learned from this incident is that if you do have one of these texting devices that go through a satellite, you cannot text anything to 911 because the satellite doesn't know what county you're in. Mm. When you call 911 on a cell phone, Interesting. it'll go to whatever cell tower that you're connected to and whatever county that's in, that cell tower will route it to that county's 911 center. But you can't do that on a satellite because the satellite's out in space. It doesn't know what county
2: it yeah. happens
1: to be flying over. <laughs> so there's no 911 from a satellite
0: it's Flying over device. hundreds of them.
1: <laughs> right. The, those satellite devices do have an SOS button on them. Mm-hmm. And you'll get a hold of the, their emergency center, however they have it set up.
0: Right. And they get your GPS coordinates and, and
1: everything. Yep. The, SO, the dispatch center, f- through your satellite device, they can call mm-hmm. the National Park Service's 10-digit landline voice phone number mm-hmm. and pass on information.
0: So going back to the accident, I noted down a couple things here. Um Do you think if she wasn't wearing a helmet, would it be worse?
1: Definitely helmets are a great idea. Uh, I think this rock happened to hit her in the occiput in the back of her head that uh, would have normally been covered by a helmet. I think the helmet was a little too big Mm -hmm. and it was not fastened tightly.
2: Shifted.
1: So I believe when you invert, if your helmet isn't properly fitted... You can expose the skull that you're trying to protect. And that is what happened in this case. Right. Um, the helmet stayed on, but it was floppy and loose. And right. I think flipping upside down, the helmet's going to go where it's going to go.
0: Right. So make sure your helmet is right size and well fitted.
1: Exactly.
0: The second thing I wanted to ask about how experienced were people? Did the experience play role in the whole accident herd met- mentality. I'm with other experienced people. We don't have to worry about things as much as with novices. Or maybe you had people who didn't really repel much in the past, and it was their first or second time. How was the experience in the whole team?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. The, uh, we had a good mix of experience levels. Um, we had some people that had repelled you know once or twice on probably easy rappels and they were nervous about it and i was going to put them on a separate belay line mm-hmm. so that we wouldn't have any accident we had plenty of rope that was mm-hmm. a good thing so we had a good mix we had some really experienced rock climbers about half our trip had had very savvy competent people on rope but the other half of our trip was people that were new mm-hmm. and were understandably nervous. And so that's why I was kind of telling them how it was going to be. And mm-hmm. and that's why I was a little delayed getting to that first lip. And I guess some of our experienced people jumped right into it and repelled right off quickly. Mm-hmm. Ended out, that's not a good thing to get the party separated. We all need to kind of be on the same page. Mm-hmm. But it also was a good thing that he happened to be down in the bottom of the cannon mm-hmm. so that he could perform a bottom belay. Right. And prevent uh, this... And
0: more damage
1: right and the, the also our our friend who was injured did not have an auto block or any kind of a repelling device mm-hmm that if you go unconscious, will stop you. So that bottom belay was uh, very helpful (laughs) to prevent her from going 50 feet upside down right into the rocks at the bottom.
0: So yeah, so if you, at least if you're going first, you should probably have some kind of auto block set up.
1: Yeah, I guess before anybody goes off anything, we all need to make sure that we have all our communication, all our equipment, Mm -hmm. our plan in place. And um, I think people got a little eager to get mm-hmm. down into a beautiful canyon, it, it's uh, it's like candy, mm-hmm. you know. You and it's
0: have, harder when you have a larger group. You know, it's not like four friends is. going in. You have sixteen people, so I can I can totally see how that was the case.
1: Yeah, and so I was um, sort of at the beginning of the trip. I I was acknowledged as the the safety guy, the mm-hmm. guy that was, and uh, I suppose I should have made sure before we uh even entered this canyon that we probably should have had a briefing outside before we got Mm -hmm. into any vertical environment at all Mm -hmm. and say look okay we have this much gear we're gonna. We have a big group. The incident command, or uh, what do they call it? The span of control mm-hmm. was too great for just me, yeah. and so we needed to divide up into uh, the span of control. By the way, is if you're in a, a party in an, any kind of like an emergency, you, you don't want to have too many people that you're supposed to keep an eye on. You know, typically no more than seven, preferably like three to five. So for every, if you could break up into groups of three or four or five with Mm -hmm. one designated lead person for each of those groups, it's much easier to keep track of of a bigger group if you subdivide it like Mm -hmm. that.
0: So what happened next? So you got the communication out authorities were notified. Then what happened?
1: Our friend woke up after about five minutes Mm -hmm. and was moaning and very disoriented, knew who she was, who her daughter was, didn't know where she was, didn't know what happened. Um, So those are, you know, signs of concussion.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, er everything else in the trauma assessment Basically, okay. The vital signs were good. The pupillary response was good. The, you know, complaining of head pain and neck pain. So, okay, we're not going to move her. We took uh, the poncho and made a sunshade out of it. Mm. And so we got people to help with that. So everybody found something useful to do. And about, after about an hour, she regained full orientation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's signs of improvement. It still doesn't mean that you that you can rule out an internal brain bleed, something inside that you can't see. And you may not see that for 24 hours.
0: Yeah. How long did you wait for help to
1: show up? The helicopter got there about two hours. Okay. It was wow, that's amazing. Fast. Very fast. Yeah. That personal locator beacon, it, all it does, is it sends out a, um, I need help signal and the location and it continues to transmit that uh so it's really nice you just turn it on and make sure it's in a good spot to see the sky and then forget about it Mm -hmm. so i I bought one about seven or eight years ago and this is the first time i've ever used it so um, but
0: weren't you glad you had it (laughs) pretty much yeah
1: probably buy a few more and hand them out to my friends
0: So your friend is doing okay now?
1: Yeah. The the helicopter crew came in and performed a short haul, mm-hmm. which is, uh, they landed up on an open area above the canyon and the medic and, you know, a team of two came down with medical stuff. They were able to walk in. We actually, we're in the canyon where you can, we were at the top of the first repel, so no ropes necessary. Walked mm-hmm. in, you know, I gave them uh, a patient care information, assessment of what happened, what trends we were seeing. Uh, you know, I've been taking vital signs every 15 minutes or so. Uh, you know, I let them know that, you know, our, our patient is actually doing better. She's improving fully oriented now and it's been two hours. We organized a coordinated lift to put her into a vacuum mattress. I'm not sure what they call theirs. PMR uses vacuum mattresses and they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you're hurt, that's what I want to be put in. Mm-hmm. This one had lifting straps attached to it. So I, I call it a screamer bag. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a <laughs> vacuum mattress and a sleeping bag combo with um, load rated lifting straps and, you know, like a harness built in so you can't fall out. Mm-hmm. And it all attaches to a, a central point And the medic, you know, hooked into it, did an assessment. We packaged her, got her all secured in there. Pilot had a 200 foot rope attached to the belly hook Mm. and he just threaded the needle. He just hovered right in and just lowered that rope right down, right on the money. I mean, he was good.
0: They're amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful video. (laughs) We all, the rest of us all cleared out because when a helicopter comes in to a Canyon, it blows rocks. A lot of, and we're in the bottom of a slot Canyon. Like we got under an overhang, cleared out and the pilot came in and the medic reached up there and clipped into the uh, end of the line and the pilot just lifted straight up like a kid's balloon when you let go it just <laughs> went straight up right out of this little slot canyon really wow. beautiful and then they landed you know nearby put our friend inside uh, coiled up the rope flew off to the south rim where there's a clinic and an ambulance mm. took her into flagstaff for a cat scan and Everything turned out to be good. Oh, but you don't great. know that until yeah. you're able to scan the inside of the skull to see yeah. what kind of damage happened in there.
0: One thing I also wanted to mention, you keep talking about patient care, and you have this amazing training with firefighting and uh, PMR. But I think it's good to encourage people to take woofer or some kind of equivalent to woofer um, so you can learn how to react and what to watch for and what to write down that uh, that could be super helpful when you transfer the patient to authorities.
1: Absolutely, I think everyone, regardless of what your career ends up being, mine ended up, up being, you know, emergency medical response and firefighting. Everyone should get some kind of first aid training and and practice dealing with an emergency because almost everybody at some point in your life. You're going to come across a, a car crash. You're going to come across, mm-hmm. you know, your, your kid's going to fall down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, really nice to have a little bit of training and experience in dealing with something scary. And it makes us more resilient, whatever we do in life. So yeah.
0: And, and I think whenever you're in a stressful situation, if you have some kind of a training, it kicks in. You don't have to think. You don't have to worry about, I don't know what to do. I'm useless. Your training will kick in, and you'll know exactly what to do.
1: You know what, Anya? That that's true. Um, I was I was just thinking about my other incident I wanted to talk about.
0: Yeah, let's go into um, the next one.
1: Ten, ten or twelve years ago, um, I live up near Lolo Pass on Mount Hood, and we had an incident when we were cr- cross country skiing. <laughs> Normally, cross country skiing is a, a, a pretty mellow. Zen-like experience, and <laughs> I really love cross-country skiing. This happened uh, to another good friend of mine, and it was it was quite emotional. And I'm really glad that I've had exposure to stressful situations, and I've I've been trained to deal with making sense out of chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you can you can't do everything at once, but you can prioritize and do a few things in in a particular order. Mm-hmm. And you learn that with emergency training. It was a good friend of mine, and it's different. When you're when you're responding as a firefighter to a stranger in a, say a car yeah, crash or yeah. something, um, there's a job to do and you know you do it. But when it's a good friend of yours and oh, it's difficult, and you know that you have no communication, you're on your own. It's it's it. No one else is coming yeah. unless you deal with it. And so luckily that emergency training that we just talked about kicked in just like you said, and I was all business. Mm-hmm. I I got the important things done. And it wasn't until later that evening that I suppose I I just I was rehashing the whole incident in my head. The emotional toll, which is part of the human experience, you're gonna if it's a good friend of yours, or even if it isn't, you see someone who could be you, you know, horribly hurt, you know, having a beautiful day in the mountains and a second later, now it's you know, your worst nightmare. You may have had, you have had another podcast about psychological first aid. We did, yeah. The impact, the emotion hit me later that night. After all the emergency and, the, you know, mm-hmm. all the work that needed to be done to do, perform a rescue
2: the was all away, over. Yeah.
1: Once that's all over, uh, I don't have any more training to, to help me there. Except for now we do psychological first aid for our responders, mm-hmm. people that do mountain rescue or... People that have experienced, you know, um, bad day in the mountains when it started out being a really good day in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this incident was uh, just a, a short one-hour cross-country ski on the Pacific Crest Trail. It was... There was enough snow that had been packed down by people with trucks that I could get my car up to the top of the pass. I had skied it the day before and, and actually broke trail. So I knew the trail mm-hmm. and we were just going to ski up the PC trail for, you know, a couple of miles or for an hour or so mm-hmm. just to get a little workout in and, and then turn around and come back. And, and it was the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. So we all felt like, Oh, we ate too many cookies and we just need a little exercise. So we were, we were going to try to be aerobic, try to go as fast and as light as possible mm. and, and burn some calories. Therefore, uh, we were dressed very lightly, you know, like for cross country skiing. <laughs> yeah. But because of my mountain rescue training and experience, I, I always thought, well, what if, what if something mm. bad happens? Yeah. Um, so I had a little day pack in there and inside of it, I had a foam pad, like I always do a first aid kit. I had. Extra hat, extra mitts, extra down vest, and what was I thought was really helpful was a big giant uh, garbage bag. You know, we we had skied in only a mile or so, and there was a little area on the on the trail where it was exposed to the wind and it had blown all the soft fresh snow off, and it was just like kind of crusty ice underneath. I had negotiated it first, and I I kind of hollered back that my friend. And uh, my nephew was with us as well. Uh, I said, hey, it's a little icy here. It's only about a 10-foot, you know, a little corner that we ski around. But make sure you stick your poles in and kind of shuffle across this using your poles to make sure the poles are planted. Because it was, you know, at about a 40-degree slope. Mm-hmm. And it, it slid down, you know, like 30, 40 feet. And there was a little grove of trees down there. And so I stopped and my, the, my friend, the second guy, he skis across. And of course he, uh, his skis kicked out and he landed on his bum and he started slow motion sliding down towards this little group of trees. And we were kind of laughing, thinking it was funny, like, oh, he's going to probably have to take his skis off and kick some steps and climb back up to the trail. And he, he, you know, he's just going to slow motion slide into these little trees and he goes down to the trees and he, he just disappeared. (gasps) And it turns out there was a 40-foot cliff, oh and those little trees we were looking at was actually the tops of, you know, 50-foot trees that were growing at the base of this cliff. Oh. We didn't, you couldn't even tell it was there, and he just went disappeared, fell off a 40-foot cliff, and hit the frozen ground at the bottom. He was knocked unconscious, and he... Ragdolled, I guess we couldn't see him, but we could hear him crashing and rolling and bouncing oh, wow. further down the mountain. And he went 600 feet down oh, wow. into the forest below that cliff. And it was a really bad, a bad time for me because, like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know there was a cliff there. And it took us about maybe 15 minutes to figure out. How does and we're calling his name and everything and we, we yeah had to, how
0: did you get down to him?
1: It took about fifteen minutes to go back the trail the way we came and figure out a way to get around this cliff band,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I I was wearing sturdier boots so I was able to kind of plunge step my way down. As I'm going down the mountain, I'm here's a glove, here's a little spot of blood on the snow, here's a broken ski pole. Here's, you know, a down tree with a, a stob sticking out of it and a, oh, really? a piece of fabric on it. So, like, he had bounced through logs and, and ripped it, you know, his uh, shirt and stuff was all shredded. He ended up, like I said, about 600 feet down the mountain, hanging upside down from a rhododendron by his broken ankle. Oh. And a bunch of blood coming out of his mouth, Un- uh, unconscious and upside down again. Yeah. Gosh, it seems to be a theme. <laughs> it's
0: a, I, don't, I don't know if I want to go adventuring was, with you, Tom.
1: <laughs> it was very, very uncool, very scary. Wow. Um, but as I approached him from above, calling his name, there's no response, but I could see his chest wall moving. So he is breathing. That's a good time, yeah. Thank God. Um, my nephew, who's he had just finished EMT school.
0: Yeah. So it was super timer. nice
1: to have. Another pair of hands there that's trained. He did a great job. You know, he, he didn't have as good of boots as I did. So it took him a little longer. He ended up falling in a creek and getting wet from the knees down. Oh uh, but we got down there and there was only about maybe an hour of daylight left when we started. Um, so now it's going to get dark soon. And in that little pack that I always carry, picked my, uh, my other friend up and put him on the foam pad and leaned him up against a tree and, you know, untangle him, of yeah. course. He he really wasn't wearing much clothing. He just had like a long sleeve t-shirt and tights on that were all shredded. Yeah. So we, we put the down vest on him and the hat and the mitts. And my nephew took his, his jacket off and put it on him. Mm-hmm. And we put this big Les Schwab tire bag over top of him. Mm-hmm. This is about 20 degrees out with about a 20 mile an hour wind blowing. And it's going to get dark and get even colder. And we're on the the north side of Lolo Pass where there's there's no cell. And this is before I bought the personal locator beacon. It might be one of the reasons why I bought one. Mm -hmm. So we had no communication. Someone has to leave to go get help. So the best deal was my nephew was there and I said keep him warm oh and and my friend woke up by the way after we Mm -hmm. after we kind of got him warmed up a little bit Mm -hmm. and sat upright just like the grand canyon incident he woke up was disoriented didn't recognize me didn't know where he was didn't know what happened he had definitely a head injury Mm -hmm. and a broken ankle um it turns out later we found out that he had four broken ribs and four fractured vertebrae Mm -hmm. in his um thoracic spine, no spinal impact, no spinal cord impact. So that's good. Um, I mean,
0: considering 40 foot fall and then 600 600 feet
1: ragdolling down frozen ground. That's pretty
0: remarkable.
1: Yeah. He's a tough guy, hard to kill. I don't think I could have survived that, but Thank God he did, yeah. but he's he needs help. So me being, again, a, a PMR member, I, back at home, I have a full rescue pack ready to go. And thank God I didn't have to leave my friend alone on the mountain. Yeah. But I my nephew ended up keeping him warm and he got really cold because he took his jacket off. But as I left, I said, you know, anybody with a close head, close head injury and potential brain swelling, usually altered mental status comes first mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, then you could have neurologic posturing and then seizure, coma, death. Depends on how fast the brain or how fast the bleeding is to put in pressure on the brain. Mm-hmm. Bad things can happen. And I luckily I did, I had my nephew to take control. Mm-hmm. And in the backpack, I had a little crummy little uh, headlamp. And I think the batteries are pretty old. And I said, look. Keep him warm, keep the wind off with his garbage bag, keep him on the foam pads so he not conducting heat into the frozen ground, you know, airway open, and he might have projectile vomiting. That's another sign of a close head injury and intracranial pressure. The other thing that was really nice is I brought a GPS and I turned it on and I made a waypoint. So I knew the coordinates.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Again, just because PMR has trained me to bring, you know, these little items like that that proved to be invaluable.
2: How far
0: Uh, in were you?
1: We were only about a mile from from the trailhead. Interesting thing, uh, when I got back up to where my skis were on the trail, clicked into my skis and I skied back to the car in seven minutes. So I was going pretty fast. I skied right through a couple of creeks and right over rocks and I blasted back to the car. That was pretty stupid because if I'd have got hurt, then there would have been no help Nobody's going
0: for help and they wouldn't know.
1: So yeah, I called 911 and had the dispatch put me in touch with a SAR deputy and I told him what happened, gave him the coordinates for my GPS. And I said, I have a... I'm taking my SAR radio and I'm going to assign myself medical. I'm going to go right back in there with my rescue pack and a sleeping bag, tea and hot packs and, you know, more foam pads and stuff. And I said, I'm going to, we're going to prevent hypothermia from getting worse. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll let you handle the rest of the rescue. But I, it looks to me like we're going to have to do two 300 foot raises to get back up to the trail. And in my rescue pack, I got a couple of chemical glow sticks. I told him I was going to ski back in about a mile, drop a glow stick where I leave the trail and then go about 300 feet down and drop another glow stick at a place that looks like a good anchor for a raising system. Mm-hmm. When I got back down to the neighborhood of my friend, I, I told my nephew, I said, when you hear me coming, I'm going to holler. Save the batteries on that flashlight, that headlamp, but turn it on when you hear me and wave it around and make some noise so I know where you are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was great. As I came down the mountain again, I could hear them. And they were singing old Scottish folk songs, oh. which was...
0: <laughs> I mean, it's another part we talked about before in podcasts um keeping good attitudes whatever it is singing telling stories you know trying to stay positive is a huge huge plus
1: yeah absolutely when when clay my my nephew when he heard me coming down the mountain, he, he was worried that I'm crash on my skis or slide mm-hmm. the car into the ditch or over in a bank, but trying to get home in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And he's all alone with this very badly injured person mm-hmm. on a cold mountain with no jacket. Mm-hmm. So he was really hoping that I was going to be successful and bring some, you know, I'm sure help he was, back.
0: He was happy to see you. Then. So he was, <laughs> yeah, he
1: had a good attitude, but when, when he heard me coming, he said it was, it was wonderful. And then <laughs> When I heard them singing Charlotte the Harlot, <laughs> uh, don't ask. <laughs> um, I knew that my friend was back, but he's, he's a longtime musician, friend of mine. And, uh-huh. and I knew his brain was okay if yeah. he's singing that. <laughs> So, so I how, was worried how but,
0: long did the rescue last
1: Well um, it was it turned out it was pretty quick because I'd given the SAR deputy the coordinates hmm. he actually took the time to punch him into his um, his computer and look it on the map mm-hmm. and rather than do two 300 foot raises to get back to the trail and then have to drag a litter out through a mile of yeah. snow it turns out that that site was actually about 600 feet above the power line access road
0: Oh so they could just lower him
1: yeah so it's much easier to lower somebody mm-hmm. so he as a, as a good incident commander he figured out the best course you know I, I gave him some suggestion but when he radioed me he said he said we're going to have a bunch of SAR volunteers in Jeeps. Drive down this deep snow-covered road and bring ropes and package your friend and lower him 600 feet, mm-hmm. which it wasn't even vertical. I mean, it's it was about a 40-45 degree slope, mm-hmm. quite an easy lower down 600 feet. Mm-hmm. Put him in the back of a jeep and carefully drive him back up to the top of the mm-hmm. pass where we could put him in an ambulance. And so we were out of there by you know midnight or one in the morning or something. So.
0: So to wrap up, helmets, super, super important. Well-fitted helmet Mm -hmm. and worn properly. Communication, best to have two-way communication if possible, but one way also works. Always have rescue pack with you. It doesn't have to have a lot, but...
1: I call it my what-if pack. Yeah. You know, like I said, when I went... To the Grand Canyon, I had. I always have a foam pad. Those are super useful in the desert or in the snow. It doesn't mm. matter. You can make splints out of it. Uh, I always have a first aid kit, and usually that's you know, sometimes substantial. But for the average, you know, like going mushroom hunting, it's just a little pocket first aid kit. But there's always tape in there, a lot of good tape. And you can do a lot of stuff with some mm. good tape. The garbage bag and the lighter and the little, little candle. Yeah, there's okay. some fire starter in there. No, I don't often try to light a fire because you end up wasting a lot of time sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, a fire is great if you can get it going. So, but I do have, you know, a couple of little, you know, a couple of cotton balls that are smushed up with Vaseline and a little Ziploc. Mm-hmm. That's a good fire starter. Um, you know, matches, mm-hmm. um, a little compass. I usually have a map, usually some kind of GPS. And now I have a personal locator beacon. What else? Oh, you know, extra clothing, some energy food. And I always have some you know, energy gels or, or something like mm-hmm. that. What else? A whistle and a knife also. Sometimes I have little water purification tablets, a headlamp with decent batteries. And I, I keep it in a ziplock with the batteries not inserted because the batteries always get corroded if you leave them in your headlamp. I, I don't use that headlamp for anything else. That's just part of my emergency kit. Also, Paper and a pencil.
0: I actually keep my pen. It's like the right in the rain pen. I keep it in my first aid, so it never yeah. leaves it.
1: Yeah, I do too.
0: Tom, thank you so much for coming and talking to me about your personal experiences. It's always great to hear other people's perspective, and especially somebody who has such a great experience. Um, I don't know if it was great. Well,
1: <laughs> some of those are bad. So many years
0: of experience in in emergency field. Um, so I'm sure you've seen a lot um, so I always love to hear from people like you so me, myself and our listeners can always learn and something and take something out of
1: it you know what, I learned a lot from other people and so hopefully people you know, might learn from uh, the bad experiences that I've had that turned out to be, they got better
0: yeah, and, and they could have gone worse if you were not prepared
1: exactly, yeah
0: I'll see you tonight at the training
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be good